What's up, everybody? Welcome to yet another edition of the Surf and Sales Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Leaf, along with my co-host and good friend, Richard Harris. Coming to you live and direct, we are here today on behalf of our sponsors, Vidyard, Gong, and Lead411. We're really proud to work with them. Check them out. There's still time this year to uh, sneak a purchase in. Get yourself set up properly for uh, 2021. And we are talking today to our good friend and, uh, I don't know, mentee, younger brother who's smarter than us. I don't know what we want to call him at this point, but he is the host of the Millennial Sales Podcast, as well as a newly minted growth AE at our good friends at Gong. Tom Alamo, everybody. Welcome to the show, Tom. Hey, thanks for having me on, guys. And, uh, you know, you broke the news first about Gong before it before it went live anywhere else. So you get to put that uh, put that in on your uh, on your resume. Dude, we're like gonna it. be able to like tell it. the entire thing because of that, Scott. That's yeah, gonna... that was a that's what's known as a Woj bomb in NBA circles. In case right. uh, you were wondering, Richard, I know Tom gets that reference. I mean, yes, is that a Wazowski uh, reference? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. I know. I know. All right. So Tom, uh, tell everybody real quick about the uh, the podcast that you host, and uh, you know just a little bit about your sales background, kind of how you've come up and and now you know landing at such a great place uh, like Gong. Yeah, man. And uh, as a side note, if I'm working at Gong, that means I think I partially pay for this podcast if if they're going to be sponsors. So keep you guys on a short leash. But uh, yeah, man, I've been in sales for you know ever since graduating school or, or even. Even ah, that's the first person who came out of the gate dropping bombs on us, dropping the hammer. That's <laughs> it. Well done, Tom. <laughs> yes, to he's he's been trained well. <laughs> um, well, so I, you know, I grew up outside of Boston and, um, you know, I was an athlete, played a lot of different sports, mainly tennis growing up and in college. And, uh, you know, one summer I got shoulder surgery, couldn't teach tennis camp and found a shiny flyer for Cutco knives in the grocery parking lot, uh, ended up taking that job against my mom's better wishes. And, uh, you know, ended up crushing it for the summer, man. I had a sling in one arm, my bag of knives in the other, I was cutting up tomatoes for people in their houses all summer and ended up doing really well, made some good money, learned some of the basic fundamentals of sales. And then, you know, went into it, uh, joined tech target out of school. Yeah. What do you define? What do you define as the basic pieces of sales, right? Those basic elementary pieces. Yeah, that's, that's a great question for, for that job. I mean, a lot of what we were learning about was, you know, we learned about goal setting, learned about, you know, the mindset that you need to have with people, right? You're, you're trying to have empathy for folks. You're trying to ask good questions, trying to tell a story, trying to uncover what their real needs are, right? So if you came in with the big book and talking about, you know, that the company was founded in Olean, New York, like you weren't going to sell anything. But if you ask them, you know, what do you like to cook? And, you know, you even start, you come in at lunch or dinner time and start cooking with them and start to kind of highlight what some of the deficiencies might be with their current cutlery, you open yourself up for some opportunities. So I'd say basic storytelling, goal setting, some of the mindset that you need, cold calling, you know, not having fear on the phones, things like that. So I've never... I've interviewed and hired several Cutco people. Do you have to cut? Do you? I always thought it was more of a door-to-door thing, or is it really like you got a cold call and, and set appointments? 
So maybe it's changed over the years, but at least when I was there, you were not allowed to go door to door. Um, they wouldn't let you. I was so, wondering about that with a big old bag of knives and a sling yeah. on your arm. Like that, <laughs> that doesn't necessarily imply trust. No, no, you, you start with people that you know, and then you have to get referrals at the end of every meeting. So the goal is to get like 15 to 20 names at the end of every meeting and their phone numbers, then call them up and you just kind of build out your book of business that way. So that's probably one of the best things it taught you was how to ask for the referral. Like, that's an amazing, because I know so many people who don't do that and they've been in sales for 20 years. Yeah, that too. That too. That's something that, you know, come to think of it, I did a lot, you know, I did a lot when I was at Cutco and probably could have been doing more in my other AE roles. But yeah, it's totally something that, yeah. Now, why was your mom so against you having this role? It's funny, man. I'm, um, I don't, I don't think she thought I was going to be very good at it. I'm an introvert. (laughs) Is that the real I'm, reason she was like, oh, Tom, you're going to suck at this? Was no other reason she just thought you were not going to well, be good at it? Well, she's had people come, you know, to the house before and sell the cut code knives and kind of thought maybe it was a pyramid scheme. And, you know, there's some thoughts about that, you know, from a business model, if it's shady or not. Um, but uh, honestly, I don't think she thought I was going to be very good because I'm an introvert. I was always like, you know, shy around people. I was not super outgoing. I wasn't the class clown. I wasn't someone that was, you know, super entrepreneurial or anything growing up. So I thought it was, it was more of like, Oh, you might not like that. That might not be a good experience for you. And, um, you know, ended up being probably the best thing that ever happened to me. That's really funny. What, so where did you go after that? So you did that then sort of walk us through a little bit. Yeah, man. So out of school, I went to tech target and spent about five years there. They're in the intent data space um, out of Boston. And, you know, after nine months, you know, you went through sales training and then I was given a greenfield territory. So this is before we had SDRs. So got to kind of surpass that, but you're just cold calling all day long anyways, trying to book new meetings and trying to find any sort of revenue you can. I was moved out to San Francisco after nine months with the promotion. And then Climbed the ranks there through, you know, uh, some of the mid-market enterprise. I was working with some of our largest customers. And then um, in 2019, I started a player coach role there. So I was working some enterprise accounts. I was managing a team of AEs um, and then did that for about a year and a half before this year where, um, you know, I just had a, a stint over at Skilljar, which as we're recording this, it's my second to last day there. And then as he broke, uh, joining over at Gong uh, next year. So that's kind of been my path as, as an AE and in, in throughout my career the last five or five and a half years. What do you think? Because um, you, you did it, right? And, I, you know, Scott and I have this debate of the SDR role. So you started at a place like Tech Target, which has done phenomenal, right? They're a great company, but you didn't have an SDR. Now, as you look at sales roles, do you like the idea of having an SDR? Do you like being a full cycle rep? Like what is your, you know, let me, let me put it to you this way. If someone hired you to build a sales team today, would you build an SDR or assuming it's a mid-market enterprise thing, right? The, the price point matters. What would you choose? Yeah. I've seen Scott write about that. He, he doesn't believe in SDRs, I think. And I haven't read too much about it and, and thought enough about it. So, or maybe I misquoted him. So I'd love to hear the other argument. I've, as Tech Target, you know, grew in the last few years, they have SDRs built out and that's helped us to go upstream and any other job. It feels like any other job in tech, there are SDRs. I, 
when I started though, it was just, I thought the best learning experience though, was to just be able to do the full thing myself. And like, I had to cold call, I had to email, I had to book the meetings and I had to close. What did you want? So when you go from that full cycle, right, to getting an SDR, I think a challenge for a lot of AEs is they either give up too much power and blame the SDR, or they don't know how to work with them anyway. So what were the things that you learned to build that trust with the SDRs you were working with? Dude, it it's, makes it easy to get lazy. That's what it is. It's like, um, I'm trying to think of a good analogy. It's like you get a new, a new driver or something in golf, and then you stop hitting the driving range because all of a sudden you can belt it 30 more yards and then you, you miss all your putts or something, right? So you have these SDRs setting meetings for you and then you forget to prospect or you don't prospect anymore. So then if you don't hit your number or you don't have the pipeline, then you're blaming your SDR. So I've always been advised and what I've tried to do is create the pipeline that I need to hit my number on my own. If my SDR sets me up more meetings and pipeline, that's great. Then I'll crush my number that quarter. But I don't want to be reliant on someone else to hit my number or to put me in the right position to hit my number. So I feel like, yeah, you should you should collaborate with the SDR and you can coach them up even and, and help them get better. But if you're relying on them to build out your pipeline for you, then I mean, I, I don't think that you're going to be able to be consistently hitting your number. Now, will you have an will you have an SDR in your new role at Golf? I believe. Yeah, I don't know what the ratio is, but yeah, I believe yeah. so. So. Talk about the uh, strategic and competitive advantage that you would have. Let's assume that you're going to have a, an SDR. Being that you've been an SDR before, and now you'll and now you'll have one. That's got to be an advantage, you know, compared to somebody who's never been in an SDR role and who then gets one. Yeah, I mean, if you have, I think you have to have those fundamental like processes and the abilities to go out and find business and find and book yourself meetings. Right. It's like, if to me, you know, part of it is a skill set, but the other part is just being able to overcome the fear, right? It's scary to start cold calling in the beginning of your career. It's scary to send an email to a CEO and want their approval and want them to book a meeting with you. Right. So I feel like if you can get over the fear of it and you can get in a rhythm and be confident with what you're selling and confident in your abilities to handle something, then that puts you light years ahead of other people and, uh, and just makes you more, more deadly as an AE. How, how do you do that? How do you coach yourself to get over the fear? Or again, you know, maybe you're going to go to Gong and get a, a, a newbie SDR. How are you going to coach them to get over that fear? Yeah, man, the fear is, the fear is tough. I feel like, you know, for me, when I think about prospecting or anything that's challenging or a big goal or a big thing in your way, I try to make it as small of an action as possible. So instead of saying, shit, I need to make 500 calls this week, just like, all right, let's block the calendar for 30 minutes and let's make, you know, 15 calls or however many you can make in 30 minutes. And then you take a break, go get some water, do it again for 30 minutes. And then, you know, take a break, do it again for 30 or do it again for 60 and try to break it into chunks and break it into small focused chunks and try to try to, you know, eat the elephant one bite at a time, so to speak. Right. So um, I've always tried to approach that for anything. You know, it's the same with like you're starting the year with a quota. Your quota might be a million dollars. It might be ten million dollars or who knows what it is like. You're not going to hit all that in one day. And it seems super daunting. But if you can break it down little by little and follow focus on the process, then the results are going to follow. Yeah, I just think that it, it's got to be such an advantage knowing 
what your SDR has is about to go through because you've already gone through it. Whereas, you know, let's say like Richard and I, we never had an SDR. So if you gave Richard and I an SDR right now, I wonder sometimes if that relationship, um, you know, is strained a little bit because a lot of AEs have never been in the shoes of an SDR. So they take them for granted, push the envelope a little bit with how they treat them, that kind of thing. What are the keys in your mind to the, the, having a healthy dynamic between the AE and the SDR? What, what makes that relationship, you know, excel and, and go to the next level? Well, you got to be bought in on the same team, right? So the goals have to be aligned, right? I'm at, as an AE, I've got a number to hit, right? As an SDR, I have a number to hit. It could be meeting set. It could be pipeline generated. It could be closed one, you know, it could be several different things, right? So as an AE, you know, you're kind of the captain of that team. You're the coach of that, of that team, right? Because you're probably more experienced. So it's on you to, you know, set the weekly meeting with the SDR, right? And go through, all right, what's our plan for the week? Or what's our plan for the next two weeks? Uh, I'm going to go after these accounts. You go after these accounts. You know, here's some great messaging that I've seen. Oh, I, hey, I listened to the Surf and Sales podcast. And here's some tidbit that I got from an episode. You might like that for your cold calling this week, right? So you're, you're kind of taking that mentor coach approach with them, right? To help, help guide them through it. Um, and, you know, I think that's, I think that's the key. And I think it's also important to just sh share that, like, the stuff that they're feeling is normal. Like, I feel bad for anyone that, like, just graduated school last year and is getting their first job as an SDR in the COVID world. And yeah. they, they're, they're not in an office. They're not in a sales pit. They're just on, you know, Zoom all day. And they're just, you know, using outreach or sales loft and just stuck in their apartment or their parents' house or wherever they are. Like, that's, that's a really tough job. So I think you almost have to be a second manager. You have to be kind of like a half friend, half manager to them and help kind of coach them through that and be like, man, you know, it's like, this is hard for me too. It sucks working remote sometimes and it can get lonely and try to be there for them. So I think it's like, it's that whole bundle of, yeah, there's tactics you can help them with. There's, there's, um, you know, motivation you can give them, but it's also just, you know, trying to be supportive for someone that's probably likely in the first year or two in their career or in their sales career. And, trying to give them the encouragement they need to, you know, keep going through the tough times. I want to flip it on you because I also think the SDR, particularly a skilled SDR, right? Like not, not the newbie, but the skilled SDR can also be a mentor to the AE. And oftentimes yeah. that doesn't get to happen. So what advice would you give to those senior SDRs who are working with AEs who are also senior AEs to coach the AE on, Hey, here's how you can get the best out of me. Yeah. So if I'm a senior SDR in that case, right. Um, I think you want to come in and, um, you know, you want to be mindful of the AE's ego. Cause if you come in to someone that is likely more experienced, more tenured, you know, thinks they're a bigger deal than you, maybe, um, you don't want to come in and say, Hey, you know, Richard, uh, my AE, here's all the things that you're not doing that I can be, do that I'm doing as a, as an SDR. And here's how you can be better at prospecting. You know, but I think if you approach it in a tactful way of saying, you know, hey, here's some of the ways that I've been successful. You know, I've been following this sequence. You know, here's a line I'm using on my cold calls. Um, you know, I'm doing this creative thing where I'm sending these videos or a cameo or Sendoso or whatever, you know, that I'm doing that to kind of think outside the box and offer those suggestions to the AE. And again, I think you want to frame it in the, in the thing of, hey, we're on the same team. 
we're both trying to make each other money right now by setting meetings and for you then closing those deals and, and hitting your numbers. So I think if you frame it as, hey, I'm here to help you make money, then the AE is stupid not to listen to you and not to learn from you. Is there any prospecting tactics or tools that you think are about to go by the wayside, maybe in 2021 even, or maybe a little bit beyond that? Like, is there, is there something that's dying off or losing its steam a little bit? You know, I feel like the, um, I feel like the, the common thing that people, it seems like have been talking about since, you know, I first got into the industry like, Don't say like, six it, years ago Don't say it. is, Don't is say around it. cold calling. Don't no, no, say I, it, no, 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 I know. <laughs> so I think that's, you know, people, there's that age old debate, but I'll tell you when I was prospecting at, at my current gig here at Skilljar, by far the most meetings I set were on the phone by far. And it's not like I wasn't emailing people. It's not like I wasn't adding them on LinkedIn. It wasn't like we weren't trying other creative ways. We just got more people live on the phone, especially if you have their, you know, you have their number and you know, Zoom info or one of these other places that you're getting contact info. I mean, it was that's just how how we got a lot of our meetings. So that's to say, I don't know if there's anyone that's if there's any way that's going to particularly die, but I think you have to continue to evolve. You know, I remember like there were some of the things that I used to do, the emails I used to write years ago, the kind of the format and you got to mix it up. Like the, the same stuff doesn't work anymore. Sometimes you got to try the one sentence email. Sometimes you got to try the video. Sometimes you got to try LinkedIn. Sometimes you got to try a mutual connection, like the cold call. There's so many different ways that I don't think that any way is going by the wayside, in my opinion. Do you? I, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm asking you. I mean, I. I don't know if it's going by the wayside, but I think some of these things that like caught a little wind are just not here to stay. Like cameo is like, not, that's like not my jam. Sorry. Yeah. That, I don't want like to get, I don't want to get a prospecting message from, you know, Snoop Dogg or, or David Hasselhoff. <laughs> like that's just not, I don't see that. I don't see that working. Okay. Um, that's a little 2020 gimmick kind of thing to me. Maybe it has a little bit of legs in 2021. Not just me. Richard might completely uh, dis disagree with me. Um, I, I think social selling, as it used to be called and known, is in big trouble. You know, I, I think initially everybody just connected, said hello once or twice, and then just started pitching. And, you know, this goes way beyond connect and pitch, which is obviously dead and never really was here. But I, I don't know that, you know, prospecting in the typical sense socially is going to work that much more because everybody's inboxes and notifications are just so noisy. What will work and will always work is building a relationship with somebody through social, engaging their content, having dialogue with them for weeks, months, even years potentially. And then at some point, you know, saying, Hey, I've got this thing. You might want to hear about it. That will work. But I don't, yeah. I, I, I don't know many. I hear a lot of people complaining now. They're like, man, I can't get a hold of anybody on LinkedIn. Which yeah. is surprising yeah. to me. I you think you know what I... Oh, go ahead. So I was just going to jump in on, on what Scott was saying. So one, it's, I think social selling has turned into to selling through brand. 
right? And what Scott and I talked about, right? Like that social selling was about building your brand and now it's evolved because that's the piece. And I'll, I'll take a different side on the cameo piece is that if you can get super creative, right? If I could get somebody to cut a video that talks about something I've done, or I might even say, hey, you know, this is Snoop Dogg. And by the way, Richard's never going to ask to sell you anything. Like if I ever get him to, you know, get the cameo to say that, then I've found a more creative way to do that. Right. Um, you know, I did, I did two cameos this year. I did one for, um, uh, for my, for my uh, five week selling program and I did corporate bro. And then I did Mr. Trace Comas. Right. And it, I was willing to ridicule myself in a fun way from a business perspective that I think is far more interesting and sticky than, Hey, this is so-and-so he'd love to talk to you. Right. So I think that's where now will it continue? I don't know. Um, but Tom, let me ask you this. You're going into enterprise. Will you use cameo in 2021? I I've never used one before. I know other people that have used it in booked meetings and I've seen it on LinkedIn. Um, not to say that I never would, I just never have, but you know, on thinking more about this this question too, on on kind of the inverse of it, what I think is going to be an even more important thing, and that I've seen this year, both professionally and just you know personally, is using those micro communities. I know you're both big on this, whether it's you know your Patreon group, whether it's Rev Genius, Revenue Collective, Modern Sales Pro, you know, the list goes on and on. Meeting people, I've met more people professionally this year locked in my apartment in San Francisco than I did my other five years where I was going to yeah. trade shows and, you know, kind of half fast yeah, sure. meeting people. And so, you know, I think meeting those people, building those relationships, like you're saying, and being able to use that to either find your next job or, you know, fi- you know, help build a relationship with people or whatever it might be. I think if you're not investing in, you know, spending your time and, and money, if, if required in some of those, those areas, then you're going to be left behind. Yeah. Then I wonder, will live events be changing or going or going by the, the wayside? You know, I mean, I think I think there's two camps. There's your camp, which is like, I never met so many people before. Right. I never built so many good relationships. I don't need to go to these events at these hotels and, you know, get pitched by vendors and shake hands and exchange business cards. But then I think there's also sales, though. We're not talking about that event. Just, that's, you know, we're about that's, a, that's a micro community event. I'm talking about big sales conferences. But then there's the other camp who's like, get me the fuck out of my room. You know, I, I will go to every conference on earth as soon as we're allowed to because I just need to. What, what do you think the landscape of live events looks like as we move forward, Tom? I mean, I'm not sure that big events are going to change, right? Because I feel like a lot of why, you know, Salesforce or AWS or whoever else is putting on the major event with hundreds of thousands of people, you know, part of that is like a branding thing. Part of that is get your product out there. Part of that is that there's a, you know, they're working with their partners and all these different things. It's not just for me to network. Um, But to your point, maybe there's more micro conferences. Maybe there's some competition for the surf and sales conference, not, in what you're doing necessarily, but maybe there's more meetups, right? Maybe there's more, um, you know, people that, you know, you met online. I've met a lot of people on LinkedIn from San Francisco that I've never met this year. 
And maybe we all meet up next year when it's safe to do so. And we go and we start our own little group and we meet once a month or we go get a beer or whatever it is. I see that that's going to be something that comes more common is like the micro uh, community in-person event, you know, once it's, once we're all clear to do that type of stuff. So you're ahead of the curve on that, I think. Yeah. We're, you're, we're a trendsetter, Richard. People, right. I, we'll, be like, we'll be like, we'll be like, uh, we'll be like, you know, one of those bands that like 30, 40 years later has like all this indie kind of cred, but was broke and didn't, didn't make anything and didn't get famous. But we'll have exactly. the cred. We'll be like, we'll be like the velvet underground of sales conferences. I was going to say big head <laughs> and the monsters. They can still fill out, a, they can still fill a small place like the Fox Theater, right? In Boulder, Colorado, you know, so. <laughs> We can always fill Costa Rica. We can always get enough people to go to Costa Rica, Scott. So, Tom, what are what are your you know twenty twenty one's coming around? Um, well, there's actually two questions I want. My first question is, both of your last two tenures have been about five years each, right? Well, I've only worked at two places, so one was five years, and one was you know four or five months. Oh, that's right. I'm sorry. What was it? How does it feel to go from a five year thing? And what does it take to think about leaving that level of security where you kind of accomplished a lot? I, I assume you could have just stayed and kept making good money. What pushed you to go, okay, I got to go do this again. I got to go start from some level of scratch. Yeah. I mean, for me, um, you know, I've always been someone that always wants to, you know, get better, always wants to develop personally and, and grow. And you could probably relate to, at some points in your life, like hearing that whisper in your ear, right. That's like, when you're not doing something, it's like, Hey, you know, it's, it's time for you to move on. It's time for you to do something else. And maybe that is your job or maybe it's something else. Um, but I was feeling that whisper for a good six months to a year. And then one day it was kind of a yell and I'm like, all right, I got to make a move. And, you know, it, it might be against uh, a lot of people's judgment to leave a job that you have security at, that you're, you know, making good money at, that it's, you know, a solid company that's growing uh, during a pandemic with nothing lined up. Uh, but that's what I did, you know, uh, earlier this year. And for me, it was, I just felt like it was one of those things, like if I don't do this now, I know I'm going to be here 10 years from now. And I know I'd, I'm going to regret that. And I loved my time there. I learned a ton. I met some great people, um, you know, really cut my teeth there for sales. And it was a great experience. Um, but it was just time to move on. It was time where I wanted to put myself in a different position and, you know, learn something what new. Was the, yeah, what was the yell in your ear? Richard's sound is cutting out. I think what he's trying to say, Tom, is like, what was the yell in your, in your ear? Like, what did it, we talked what about. did it sound like? How did it change? Yeah. I mean, I felt like, you know, for a while it was something that I was, I was kind of thinking about. It's like, yeah, at some point I'm going to try something new. At some point I'm going to try something new. And I always feel like, you know, I like to get, let's take a step back. I get up early. I get up at like five in the morning, you know, give or take every morning. And uh, I like to get some writing done. So when I do a lot of the blog and podcast stuff. And so I've spent some time alone and um, when that thing, when something's dominating my thoughts during that time, when there's nothing else going on, people are asleep, no one's emailing me, um, I know something's up. And there was just a period of time for, I, I don't know, probably a month where every morning that was the thing that I woke up thinking about. It's like, dude, you got to get going. Like, 
life is short. This isn't the right move. You know, it doesn't matter what the timing looks like in the market. You got to make a move. So I feel like if it's something that's dominating your thoughts and you can't sleep as well, or you can't eat as well, like you got to do what's right for you. And so that's, that's what kind of turned into the yell for me. Did the, did that same kind of thing happen to push you to, uh, to start the, the podcast? That same you know, chatter, that, that 5 a.m. voice in your head? You know, um, th- I think that's more so kept me going. Like, it's like, you know, I don't make much. You know, I've been doing it for three and a half years um, and 190 episodes and hundreds of blogs. And, um, you know, I've, I've never made money from the podcast. And so sometimes it's like, you know, why do you keep doing it? But there's that whisper that actually tells me to keep going because I know it's going to pay off. But the reason I started it was, I was living with uh, one of my best friends who's also in sales and uh, another guy kind of just like me, you know, ambitious, go-getter. We're both young in our careers. And um, we just, we like listening to podcasts. And, you know, for me, I was sending out emails to people cold, asking them to for 15 minutes of their time and probably guys like you. And maybe it was one of you and you didn't respond. Uh, and <laughs> and no one, was- no one was... <laughs> no one was responding. And so it's like, well, maybe like if we had a podcast, people would want to talk to us. And so the first episode, me and him brought a six pack of beer to my boss at the time. We went over to his apartment, put a recorder down, talked for an hour about sales and mindset and all that type of stuff. And then um, for a while, it was focused on personal development. So there was athletes, you know, there's a gold medalist, there's best selling authors, we had the Wolf of Wall Street on there. And then over time, I honed it more specifically to sales, um, but it's just been something that's grown and evolved. And I've met some amazing people and been putting, you know, had some better opportunities, I think, for my career because of it. But, you know, the original impetus was like, I think this will be fun. I think this will help our career. We don't know really how so yet, um, but let's give it a go. And if we don't like it, we'll stop doing it. Well, but what comes next? Because I get the sense from you and from so many people who are kind of at your stage of life, um, mid to late twenties, you know, successful, but entrepreneurial and a little, a little ambitious in a good way. Um, but there's just always, there's always a voice. There's always going to be something, something pushing and driving you. Like, how do you think about diversifying, you know, your work activities, your, your income streams, the projects that you you work on and, and how how do those tie into like where you want to be you know 10 years from now 20 years from now or what you want to do with the rest of your life yeah so i'm a i'm a big believer of compound interest right so you know the thought in you know financial like you know $1 now you invested, it can, you know, make you $10 in the future. Um, so I believe that with your career and with your network, right? So that's one reason why I was really drawn to Gong, you know, outside of, you know, I've used the technology. I think the people are great. I think there's a lot of great things about the culture, but it was also thinking about myself. I think I've talked to both of you guys about like, think of yourself as your, as your own company, right? Uh, like Tom Alamo, LLC, yeah. you know, what's best for me. And for me, I think that's, you know, I've been putting a lot of time and effort into meeting with VPs of sales and consultants and, you know, uh, CEOs of sales companies. And I've been selling for a, for a while and, you know, really enjoy the craft and really like the, the art and the science behind it. So I really want to double down on that and 
I want to learn more about, you know, what makes a successful sales team, successful salesperson, you know, grow my network in that area. And I think that if I do that and I continue on that path down the line, there's going to be more opportunities. You know, I want to be someone that, you know, knows a lot of people that is a master of the craft that, you know, knows the technology as well. And maybe in the future it's consulting, maybe it's training, maybe it's a startup in sales technology. I'm not sure what it'll be, but I'm a believer that if you put your eggs in that basket, in the right basket, that's going to compound. And if you do the right things, there's going to be some opportunities that I don't even know what they're going to be down the line. But you're a, but you're a builder and a, and a creator already. So yeah, you can get into, you know, a consulting and, and, and training or, or leadership roles but you know there's avenues that i think that you're gonna explore or i in my mind you've already thought about some of them and exploring them next like and and people talk so much about all the side hustle stuff and all this it's just like what are people focused on building right now right and you're focused on building your network um which i think is more of a rare answer these days uh, and, and I would argue it's probably the right answer. That's what I, that's what I focused on at least, you know, when I was first getting, getting started, I didn't create anything. I just wanted to know as many people as I kind of could and have, have an audience, if you will. And only later on did ideas start to come to me. And then when the, those ideas would come to me, I could take action on them quickly because I felt like, well, I have support out there that can help me, you know, if, if necessary. And I've been giving them some support you know, for a while. So, um, maybe they'll be more likely to, to help me out. Is that, is that part of the thought process or are you just like growing your network and meeting with executives and CEOs and whatnot? Cause you're like, I got to sell these people some gong soon. So I need to, I need to be able to get, I need to get past the, get past the gatekeeper quick. <laughs> well, I mean, as, as we, you know, talked about earlier, like if you know more people, you know, that that's going to help your sales results. So that, I mean, that's an aspect to it, but it's, it's more so the first thing that you were saying, right? I think it's, um, I think you want to have options, right? And like, you want to, you want to be able to have influence. And so how do people have influence, right? Well, um, you know, I will listen to what you have to say. If I think you're really skilled in it, if you maybe have a lot of people following you in it, if you have a track record of doing it successfully, um, if you know the right people that can make the introductions, and so, you know, if you can become that in a niche area, like, you know, B2B SaaS sales and maybe even more specific than that, then I think there's opportunities from there, again, that I, I couldn't even point to, right? Like, similar try, to you guys, right? Like try, you, try, try, try though, Tom, try. Like, what's an unexplored niche right now? Putting me on the spot. I am putting you on the spot. What's an what's unexplored niche, right? Like, I don't know, you know, let's say, let's say that Richard and I, just for the sake of argument, let's say Richard and I were like early on the micro events. Okay. And let's say that, um, you know, Thursday night sales is like relatively early on, you know, micro community. Um, although there's been plenty that came before us, like revenue collective, modern sales pros, all this kind of thing. Let's say for myself, I don't know what Richard would say his niche is, but like, let's say for myself, like, I've been the sales leader that gets companies off the, off the ground. Like, are there any niches left 
there clearly are because we just come up with a couple maybe in the last yeah. couple of years. Like, what are they? You know, you've got you've got a good line of sight. You're in the trenches with these things. You know, talk to lots of people all the time. Like, what's a, what's a what's a niche, Tom? I mean, the this first is your, thing this that is comes... your surf. This is your surf and sales interview question, okay? Because yeah. this, this is <laughs> and I are trying to hire you. Yeah. I mean, the the first thing that comes to mind is that. I hear a lot about, there's a lot of sales trainers right there. Obviously, you know, Richard, there's, you know, John Barros, there's a lot of notable folks. What, and I think that's helpful as an AE. But if we go back to my experience when I got promoted to a manager in 2019, there was zero. There was, I knew nothing. And I'm telling you, I thought that I made a playbook. I made this like 40 page playbook about all the deals we're going to sell and the prospecting plays and this and that. And then, you know, one day, you know, on day two, someone had really bad, um, you know, student, you know, a lot of student loans and person was upset in the office. And then the next day, you know, I learned two of the people on my team were dating. And then like a week later, it was something else. It was like, I was not ready for that stuff. I was not ready for that. I was not ready for my first forecasting call with the SVP of sales where he bit my head off. You know, Mm -hmm. I was not ready for all these different things. And so, you know, I read you know, name a leadership book. I probably read it or, or listened to a podcast about him, but that, that didn't get me where I needed to be. So I guess I, I don't see many people talk about that stuff. I don't see anyone that's I coaching that. people that are in their mid twenties that just got thrust into, you know, managing three, five, 10 people or all these SDR leaders that are my age or, or younger. I, I think that people, you know, leadership is a lot harder than it looks. It was a lot harder than I thought it was going to be. And you know, I don't, I don't see much training going on for that. Yeah. I love that. Nobody teaches that. Nobody yeah, teaches imagine. that, right. They don't teach the soft skills. I think to Tom's point, you know, maybe it's time for people like us who, uh, <clears throat> who have been through it more than once and who have been teaching sales tactics to sales reps and sales organizations to start talking about and teaching sales leadership tactics, you know, to the, to the folks who are about to be in those roles or who are in those roles. And maybe that's the next niche and the evolution of the, uh, the space. So I, I, I love that. I'm, I'm all in on that. I think that um, I focus a good amount of my content that direction already. I know Kevin Dorsey is, is heading, you know, that direction it seems with a lot of his, his content and uh, you know, his groups and, and things. So I think that's, that's, a, that's spot on Tom. Um, we're getting towards the end of the show here. I want to be respectful of uh, your time as well as our listeners. We are doubly grateful today to have Gong as one of our sponsors since <laughs> we we're talking with the one and only Tom Alamo from Gong, uh, as well as Vidyard and uh, Lead411. Once again, great partners, great vendors, great products, great people. Check them out. Tom, how can we continue to be helpful to you? Is there anything you want to ask us? Is there any you know, projects that you're, you're working on, you want to shout out for a second or any causes you want to support or whatever, man, this is your, your time to ask us something. Yeah, I appreciate it. Um, this was fun. And I, I loved having both of you guys on, on my show as well. I'd be curious, let's hear it from both of you guys. Right. So I'm starting a new gig on January 11th, right. We've, we've talked about it a little bit and I know you haven't been in the AE saddle for quite some time, but you work with a lot of, of sales reps, both of you, um, and mentor a lot and, and coach a lot. So what would be your tip for me going into a new role? Well, 
If I may, here's one thing, and Richard will agree with me on this. Uh, I'm going to try to chime in a little bit for Richard because he's, he's got like an AOL disc trying to make his internet work right now. Um, I would argue that we are account executives every single day. And I, I think that, you know, rightfully so, I suppose, we, we don't get any credit for that um, because we, you know, we don't work for Gong and we don't have bosses and we're not part of an organization but like we're having conversations all the time we're trying to close deals we're doing follow-ups we're wrangling red lines and you know getting buy-in all over the place so i know that we're not as far removed maybe as people might think i would actually argue i'm closer to an ae now than i've been in 20 years since i actually was an ae uh <clears throat> so to answer your question you know what do you think I sh what do i think you should be focused on I've said this before um, elsewhere, but you know, I, I've been using this phrase, YORO, Y-O-R-O. You only ramp once. And, and what I mean by that is, I think people are so eager and anxious to get out of the gate, to hit the phone and make an impact and close deals and kind of prove their worth and everything that they don't take advantage of what very little and precious downtime we have as sales folks to learn everything there is to learn about our prospects, about our product, about our industry, about our company. And we rush through it all, you know? Um, I'm reminded of this a little bit since I, I have a kid who just became a teenager uh, a couple of weeks ago. And I can remember being a teenager and just like, you know, not wanting any rules, wanting to hurry up and drive, wanting to be able to go to bars, do all the, be an adult, right? Move out. And then, you know, like you realize later on, like, oh, just being an adult, not, you know, not as fun as, as I thought it was going to be. It's like, well, you don't have a quota when you're ramping, when you're first getting started. So enjoy it because you're going to have a quota and it's going to go up and you're going to have the pressure. So when you get there, like, your job should be to just become a sponge and learn everything there is. So I'd be learning everything about, you know, my customers, what makes them tick, what they want. I, I'd be networking internally with all the wonderful folks at Gong who've been doing this role successfully for quite some time, right? Um, I would become an expert in the product. So I wouldn't have to lean on as much support as maybe some other people. So I could try to be as independently excellent as humanly possible. Um, and, I, and I would get really, I'd humble myself quite a bit and, and become really proactive about like asking for help. Like I know who your boss is gonna be. And I'd be like, listen, Chris, I'm about to blow your cell phone up with questions. So just <laughs> get ready for it, right? Um, so those are the things that I, that I would be doing. And, and you know, I feel pretty comfortable saying that's what i i would do if i was you so i love it i yeah. don't know if we got richard in the house or not i gave him a three second negative. delay negative negative yeah. negative ghost rider <laughs> yeah yo ro though i lost that yeah man i i i said i didn't even know it was you know an acronym i think i said it on thursday night sales one time somebody was asking me the same question and i'm like you only ramp once man why is everybody so eager to like hurry up and get a quota fuck not me man you're gonna pay me to learn shit i sign up for that all day you know it's like getting paid yeah. to go back to school okay 
that's, that's a different story. Instead of us paying to go to school, we get paid to go to school. I would sign up for that. That's the kind of job that I want. So I think, you know, you only ramp once, man. And, uh, and try to, try to enjoy it. You know, I love it. I'm ready to yeah. get it going. All right, big guy. Well, you have a good holiday. We really appreciate you spending time with us. Uh, check out the millennial sales podcast. Tom does a great job. He's a better podcast host than we are. Been at it for three <laughs> years and he deserves, uh, deserves your support. And he's an all around good guy and a great sales guy. And we wish you all the best to go. Likewise, guys. I appreciate you having me on. Happy holidays. Right, Talk to you later.